It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 828 for the 21st of April, 2023. This week, reinstalling Windows 11, as I did just a few weeks ago, gave me the chance to rediscover some of the features Microsoft offers that don't work exactly the way I'd like them to. Let's look at some annoyances that are easy to fix. In short circuits, maybe you consider the seemingly never-ending announcements and notifications from Windows 11 to be an annoyance too. Well, you have more control than you may think. Adobe has a free artificial intelligence tool designed to fix less-than-perfect audio that makes it possible to create a podcast even if the recording environment is noisy. And 20 years ago, only on the website, in 2003, light-emitting diodes were expensive, but they saved money with lower operating costs. Now, even the initial expense is lower. A few weeks ago, I reinstalled Windows 11. That gave me the chance to rediscover some of the features Microsoft built into Windows 11 that don't work exactly the way I'd like them to. Now, none of the annoyances are deal-breakers. Most of them barely reach the level of minor annoyance. Think of the 1 to 10 pain scale. These annoyances would hover around 1, maybe even lower. But over time, they do great a bit. Maybe some of the annoyances bother you, too, so here's how to fix a few. I have some command file and batch file icons on the desktop. One shuts the computer down, a second reboots it, a third aborts either of those processes if I start it accidentally. I have to be fast, though, because the delay set for both shutdown and restart is just five seconds. The problem is that all three icons are identical, and if I'm not paying attention, I can select the wrong one. You might think that's not a big deal, because they actually do both shut the computer down, even though it immediately starts again if I choose Restart instead of Shutdown. But they don't do the same thing. If you have Fast Start enabled, shutting the system down doesn't fully clear memory. Restart does. I've turned off Fast Start because it doesn't really make the computer start much faster, and the advantage of fully clearing the memory is worth the small delay. So there are three small annoyances here. The icons all look the same. Shutdown really should clear all memory. And the icons have Microsoft's silly shortcut arrows attached. Okay, these are all very easy fixes. To make sure that shutting the computer down clears all memory, open the old-style control panel, choose Hardware and Sound, click Power Options, select Choose what the power buttons do, click Change Settings that are currently unavailable, and then clear the checkmark from Turn on Fast Startup, and click Save Changes. Your computer will now take a few more seconds to start, but no problems will be carried forward from the previous session. Before creating shortcuts, you might want to eliminate one more small annoyance. By default, Windows adds dash shortcut to the shortcut name. 
You can press F2 and then rename the shortcut, but an easy registry edit takes care of the problem permanently for all new shortcuts that you create. Be sure to check out the standard warning about registry edits on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And then start the registry editor, navigate to HKEY Current User, Software, Microsoft, Windows, Current Version, Explorer. If a value called link exists in the Explorer key, edit it. If not, you need to create a new binary value with that name, link. Edit the value so that it contains all zeros, and then either reboot the computer or log out and log in again. New shortcuts will no longer contain dash shortcut as part of their name. If you decide later that you'd like to have shortcut names include dash shortcut, return to HKEY Current User, Software, Microsoft, Windows, Current Version, Explorer, and delete the link key. The three desktop icons to shut down, restart, or abort are custom-made shortcut files that are created directly on the desktop. Right-click a blank area of the desktop and select New, Shortcut. Activate the Shortcut tab and then fill in the target text box with the appropriate text for the operation. You'll see all of those on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and I'll describe here just one of them, the shutdown version. You would type in the target text box C colon backslash windows backslash system32 backslash shutdown.exe space forward slash s space forward slash t space 5. The slash s means shutdown and the slash t 5 means wait 5 seconds. Options for restart and abort are quite similar. And there's one more step to take if you have batch or command files that you want to place on the desktop. It is not possible to associate a custom icon with command files or batch files. So the first thing you have to do is create shortcuts. Instead of storing command files and batch files on the desktop, I place them in a directory where I keep utilities. To create a shortcut, navigate to the location where the batch file or command file is, right-click it, and then choose Create Shortcut. You can then move the shortcut to the desktop. It is helpful to be able to restart Windows Explorer and the Windows search process occasionally, so I have created a batch file to restart the Explorer and a command file to halt and then start Windows search. If you need to perform either of those actions, you'll find the commands to put in a batch file or a command file on the TechBiter Worldwide website. They're very simple files. So once you've made them, you move the shortcut files to the desktop. Command file shortcuts will have one type of icon. Batch file shortcuts will have another. But I think it's visually better if each shortcut has its own individual icon. Makes them easier to spot. Right-click the shortcut and choose Properties. Make sure the Shortcut tab is selected, then click Change Icon. Windows will tell you that the file has no icon. Big surprise there. And it'll display the contents of Shell32.dll, which contains a lot of icons. If you find one that you like there, select it and click OK, and then either click OK or Apply. If not, click Browse, and you can search for other files that contain icons. To select from thousands of free icons, you can visit websites that offer them. I've listed two on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Make sure you download Windows icon files. They'll end with .ico, and just save them to your computer. 
You will find other sites that provide icons, but most are intended for use on websites. These sites offer ping, SVG, and fav icon files, and some other formats. If you choose one of those files, you will need to convert it to an ICO file. That's an easy process, and there are free online services, but it is one more action to perform. So now you have your essential commands on the desktop and your own custom icons. There is still one minor annoyance, though. Those arrows on top of the icons to signify they're for shortcuts. If this annoys you, the quickest and easiest solution involves downloading the free BTI shortcut arrow changer. Otherwise, you would have to edit the registry and create a small transparent image. Neither of those steps is difficult. But the small utility takes care of both steps in less time than it takes to download the file. After downloading and installing the utility, run it, select Remove Shortcut Arrow, and press Apply. The arrows disappear immediately. Poof! Gone. So there you go. In just a few minutes, you will have eliminated several small annoyances. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, I started with annoyances today. So, as Lyndon Baines Johnson frequently said, let us continue. One of the first things I turned off after reinstalling Windows 11 was the seemingly never-ending stream of interruptions and notifications. I'd already turned off notifications about new email messages because I don't like interruptions. If I'm working on something, I want to give that something my full attention. Multitasking is for computer processors, not people. Some of us may think we can multitask, but tests make it clear that we cannot. When we're interrupted, we stop attending to one thing, start looking at something else. There is perhaps no better example of our inability to multitask than traffic crashes resulting from a motorist's attempt to text and drive at the same time. Multitasking while sitting at a desk is unlikely to have fatal consequences, unless the desk you're sitting at is at a control station for a nuclear reactor. But every interruption is a distraction, and distractions lead to errors. The trouble is that dozens of applications want to notify me whenever they have something they think I would like to see. I leave all of the notifications on because sometimes, rarely in fact, an application will want to tell me something that I do want to know, even though most notifications will be something that's more to the company's benefit than to my benefit. But I do also find a way to make them stop interrupting me, even though they are enabled. Those who want to fine-tune notifications can open a settings panel for each application and turn various components on or off. That process can consume a lot of time. Instead, my preference is to receive no notifications, except for those that I have enabled in currently running applications. Everything else can wait. 
Yes, I would like to know that there's an update for Adobe Creative Cloud applications, but I don't need to know that when I'm writing an article for TechBiter Worldwide. Likewise, I'd like to know that there is a problem with my Microsoft account, but I don't need to know that unless it's affecting something I'm working on right then. The solution involves enabling Do Not Disturb mode and setting it to be on all the time. Once every day or two, I open the notification panel, and if there's something that needs my attention, that something gets my attention. 100% of my attention. The easiest way to turn on Do Not Disturb mode is to click the small bell icon at the top of the notification panel. You can also flip the toggle switch in Settings to activate Do Not Disturb. Check the TechBiter Worldwide website for an illustration that shows this. Clicking Notification Settings opens a detailed section where it's possible to turn on or off notifications for individual applications, to enable Do Not Disturb mode when certain types of applications are active, or to schedule times when you want Do Not Disturb mode to be active. Scheduling is helpful if you don't mind receiving notifications during some periods, but you want to block them in other periods. Maybe you want to work uninterrupted for the first two hours every morning, but scheduling works for only one period per day. You couldn't, for example, turn on Do Not Disturb during the first two hours and the final hour of the day. When you use the scheduler, you can specify that the quiet period occurs during a specific time every day, weekdays, or weekends. Scheduling is something the developers need to improve. Currently, it is quite limited. Those are the settings for Windows 11. In Windows 10, this is known as Focus Assist, and there are fewer options. Choices in Windows 10 are Off, Priority Only, and Alarms Only. Anybody who's ever thought about creating a podcast has probably also thought about background noise, audio quality, and things like that. If not, they certainly should have. When you're chatting with someone, neither of you notices background noise unless it's uncommonly loud. That's probably because our brains easily differentiate between noise and what the person across the table is saying. Microphones don't work that way because they can't differentiate between speech and noise. I once heard a podcast created by someone who lived adjacent to the elevated Brighton line in Brooklyn. When the trains rumbled by, not even the best soundproofing would have helped much. The only solution would be to wait for the trains to pass, but the trains are frequent. He decided to ignore the trains, much to the detriment of the podcast. When I'm recording the TechBiter Worldwide podcast, I wait while fire or police equipment pass by the house, and I wait for National Guard helicopters or FedEx planes headed for Don Scott Airport, and I also wait for trash collection trucks to go by. There is some soundproofing, but it is not sufficient to deal with loud noises. Fortunately, this area is quiet most of the time. But even relatively quiet noises can be distracting. The sound of a fan that's part of a heating or cooling system, for example. Here's an example of a recording made with a fan running in the background. I'm standing in a bathroom. There's a fan on, and this should probably be a somewhat echoey room. The recorder is sitting on a counter. I'm not touching it. Now I'm going to pick it up and there'll be some hand noise because this is a very sensitive device when I pick it up. 
and do anything with it. There'll probably be some clunks here. And I'm talking a lot closer now, so the echo will be attenuated somewhat, and maybe even the fan. Let's see what Adobe can do with it. Adobe has a free service, it's in beta test now, that can be used to improve that kind of sound using the company's Sensei Artificial Intelligence. I'm standing in a bathroom. There's a fan on, and this should probably be a somewhat echoey room. The recorder is sitting on counter. I'm not touching it. Now I'm going to pick it up and there'll be some hand noise. Because this is a very sensitive device when I pick it up and don't do anything with it. There'll probably be some clunks here. And I'm talking a lot closer now, so the echo will be attenuated somewhat. And maybe even the fan. Let's see what Adobe can do with it. This service is free now, but that might not always be the case. It may eventually be bundled into Audition, Adobe's sound processing application, or it might continue to be free, as are some of Adobe's image processing utilities. Take a look at the sound waveforms you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website and compare the noisy and processed images. The sound levels window clearly shows the high amount of noise in the recording and noise created by handling the microphone. Once the audio has been processed by Adobe Podcast, the sound levels clearly reveal the improvements. Access to Adobe Podcast does require an Adobe account, but a free account is sufficient for now. Once you have an account, free or paid, request access, and that's usually granted almost immediately. With photography, it's always better to get things right in the camera. The less post-processing, the better the final image will be. That's equally true with audio. Sensei makes astonishing, nearly magical improvements to low-quality audio, but it is better to use it only when you must. I heard an interview on NPR last week. The person being interviewed was recorded using an uncommonly poor Skype connection, and the interview was nearly unlistenable. This was clearly an interview that had been recorded hours or possibly days earlier, and I wondered why post-processing hadn't been used to improve the sound. Adobe Podcast is an outstanding tool to have in any audio toolkit. In 2003, light-emitting diodes promised to improve lighting and reduce costs. Check out 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website for a look back at the early days of LEDs. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>